Good morning and welcome to our service this morning. We're glad that you're here. We want you to know that you're always welcome here at Midway. If you're looking for a church home, we want you to know that we're looking for you. And if we can answer any questions or help you in any way, we would love to do just that. How many of you got caught up in that game not too long ago, may still be going on, I don't know, called Pokemon Go? Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand because we wouldn't want to embarrass anybody in here, you know, that, that you got caught up in all of this stuff that people were actually so involved in that they would have automobile accidents, that they would walk around and, and, and walk off of cliffs and break their legs and all kinds of things because they got caught up in this game. Now, it was popular and probably still is. I haven't heard as much about it in the last few weeks as you did when it first started gaining popularity. And, and there are a lot of people all over the world who have played and probably are still playing Pokemon Go. But as popular as that game has been and is, it's not the most popular game in the world. There's other games, another game in particular that I know of that, that's even more popular than that one. And this game, you can't buy it on an app and get it on your phone or anything like that. If you were to try to get it in a box, you couldn't get it in a box. You don't have to have any kind of special equipment. It can be played at home. It can be played at work. It can be played at school. It can be even be played at church. Now some of you are saying, man, tell me about that one because I need something to do while this sermon is going on. We can play that game anywhere. It can be played by people of all ages and probably some of you have already played it this morning. If I were to guess, you probably already have. It was played by the first two people who ever lived and it's called the blame game. How many of you in thinking about the blame game how many of you have ever tried to pass the buck? You heard that phrase, haven't you? Pass the buck. You may be asking, where in the world did that come from, that phrase come from? Well, it has a popular story behind it. A lot of people think that it originated during poker. And it said during the early days of our country that people would play poker and and in order to keep up with who the dealer was, they would pass a knife around. And sometimes those knives were called jack knives or buck knives. They were called buck knives because the handle was made from the antler of a deer, and so it was called a buck knife. And if the dealer, the person whose time it was to deal, didn't want to didn't want to deal that particular time, he could pass the buck to the next person and pass his turn to deal to them. Now, it's possible that that phrase came from that, and you know it sounds good anyway, but it's probably more likely that it came from a French term. Now, I'm not a French-speaking person, but I'm going to give this uh, an attempt this morning. The term, book, émissaire, is probably the term from which the past the buck came. And that simply means, in French, one who is a scapegoat. You ever heard that term scapegoat before? There's another passage in the Bible where that term is used. The idea of a scapegoat is used. We read about it this morning from the book of Leviticus. And you may have noticed when Ryan read that from the English Standard Version that three times in that passage he, he talks about this goat, but it was to be dedicated or sent out to Azazel. 
And, and if you were to look in the King James Version, rather than seeing that proper name, Azazel, you would simply say that the word, it was to be a scapegoat. That word, Azazel, is a proper name for the scapegoat or a scapegoat. And so when you look at it, you think about it, here is this goat. We read about how that, that Aaron was to, to sacrifice a, a bull for his sins and that he was to pick out two goats. And, and they were to be male goats. If you back up to verse number 5 of that chapter, Ryan didn't read that this morning. I had him start in verse 6. But in verse number 5, they were to be male goats. And, and one of them was to be dedicated to God and the other one was to be the scapegoat upon which they laid their hands and drove it out into the wilderness as a representation of, of taking that sin out away from the people, of taking it out into the wilderness. Now it's interesting sometimes that that is also referred to, that, that goats are sometimes referred to in this way. Here in the South, when we start talking about goats, we talk about billy goats and nanny goats. Billy goats are male goats. We talk about nanny goats. They're the, the female goats. But in other places in the world, they're simply referred to like we would refer to a deer. A doe is a female goat, and a buck is a male goat. And so we have this idea of passing the buck, sending that buck out into the, out into the wilderness. The scapegoat is going out into the wilderness. And so as we look at it today, we sometimes try to pass that buck, don't we? Yeah, I believe that our culture, our society has become a society of victimism. And that's not a term that I coined myself. It's been around for a while, and if you were to look that term up, you can find it in the dictionary. But I like the way that the Urban Dictionary refers to that term. It defines victimism in this way, a kind of philosophy whereby one chooses to perpetually see oneself as a victim of some sort for the purpose of accruing sympathy and empathy. I view myself as a victim. In other words, I'm a victim, and so the things that happen to me are not my fault. Not my fault. Can you see that in our society today? People talking about things not being their fault. I'm this way because something has happened to me, or somebody has done this or that, or the other to me. Susan Jacoby, you may have seen her on TV, but Susan Jacoby, a number of years ago now, talks about the, the injustice collectors. And she gives a list of things that the injustice collectors do. And I don't have time to read the entire list this morning. It was uh, quite a lengthy list. But let me give you a few of the things that she identifies as being these injustice collectors. She says they endlessly repeat how others have mistreated them. Have you ever known of somebody, somebody who is your acquaintance, maybe you work with them or, or, or you, you, you live by them, but, but somebody has always mistreated them in some way. I've met folks like that and, and spoken with folks. That's one of the things that she says about the injustice collectors. She goes on and says they view the world as hostile and unfair to them. Uh, she says uh, they are beachcombers of misery who see each grievance as a treasure to add to their collection. She, she, she basically says, you know, these people are, 
are really just searching through the sand to find as much as they can uh, to add to the collection that they have to, to, to say, woe is me. Look at me. Look how badly I've been treated in my life. Number four, she says, they, are, they have a hidden need to feel wrong. Five, they have, or they live by the childish notion that life should always be fair to them. Six or seven, whatever it was, they have a competitive view of life in which others are always winning at their expense. And then finally she says they see themselves as permanent victims. That's this victimism society. It's not my fault, it's what everybody else does to me. And so in other words, folks try to shift blame. Blame for the things that they do, the way that they live, the actions that they take, the words that they say, the thoughts that they have, they try to shift the blame to other folks. And again, that blame game has been around for a long, long time. Now two things in the time that we have allotted this morning that I want to try to discuss with us. I want us to think about, call it to your attention. But I want you to think about this morning, number one, how it is that we try to shift blame. You know, sometimes we just point our finger and say, it's your fault. But there are other ways that we try to shift blame away from ourselves. And see if this perhaps may fit you. I'm not saying that it does, but I want you to measure yourself up and see if this might describe you and the life that you're living. Number one, as we think about that, how is it that I try to shift blame away from myself well, I make the excuse, that's just the way that I am. That's just the way that I am. Somebody has a bad temper. They fly off the handle a lot. They, they verbally, verbally abuse people around them. You know, maybe a husband or wife or the children or, or whatever. And, and they have that bad attitude with that bad temper. And, and somebody confronts them with it and they say, I can't help it. That's just the way that I am. You ever seen somebody like that? That's just the way, that's my, that's my attitude. That, that's just the way that I am. You see, I'm trying to shift blame away from myself. It's not my fault, that's just the way that I am. Or it may go to the other extreme. It, it may be that somebody sees something that's wrong and, and sees somebody doing something that's wrong, but they're too timid to say anything about it. They're too timid to confront the situation. They don't want to get involved. And the reason they don't, it's just the way I am. I don't, I, I, you know, what can I do? I, I, I'm so quiet. That's just the way that I am. That's shifting blame for something that either should be or should not be away from ourselves. And, and really and truly, that's not the way that, that we are to be. Do you believe that people can and should change? I think that's a, a very good question. Do you believe that people can and should change? Well, if not, then what do we mean by, what did Paul mean by the book of Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 10? Think about what he says here in this passage. He said, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. Do you understand what Paul says? He said to these folks, he says, In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. If that's not the Apostle Paul, by inspiration, calling for people to change, to change attitudes, to change actions in their life, I don't know what you do with that verse. Paul says, they were like that, but they had to put off those old ways of doing things and put on the new way and become more like their Lord. And so if a Christian continually lives with the idea that I've got, an, I've got a temper, I've got a, a, a timidity problem or anything in between or other than that that you can think of that they ought not be doing, and they make the old excuse, that's just the way that I am, then they need to read these passages. And they need to understand that God expects us to change. You see, that's a part of what repentance is. To change our allegiance from one to another, to turn from what we've been doing wrong, and start doing what is right. Otherwise, we're just playing the old blame game. And that won't work before God. You see, we have to stop trying to shift blame to some invisible, non-existent force buried somewhere deep inside us. It's just not possible for us to do that. And then there's this other one. We sometimes simply say, well, it's someone else's fault. And, and, and you know, that's pretty much what we're talking about in, in, in all that we're doing. And especially in our society, you know how it is. You've listened to the television and the radio and you've read it in the newspapers and online. Somebody says, if I get a bad grade, it's not my fault, it's the teacher's fault that I got a bad grade. It doesn't make any difference. I didn't do my homework or I failed the test. The teacher should have made the test easier and should not have given me homework. Right? I see some folks who are naughty. I'm not sure about that one. If I get a bad review at work or get fired at work, it's the boss's fault, right? If I get in trouble with the police, in trouble with the law, it's the policeman's fault. And we see that on the news every day almost now. It's somebody else's fault. I could multiply. As I was preparing for this lesson I was reading, and I, I, I noticed a number of things that, that, that people have done that uh, that they've tried to shift blame. But this one, you know, I, I just couldn't get over this one. 19-year-old Amy Stallacker, uh, uh, she had a flat tire back in 2000, the year 2000, April 29th of 2000 to be exact. And I wish she hadn't, shouldn't, uh, had not had the flat tire. But while she was changing the tire, she was kidnapped murdered by a man by the name of Richard Cook. He was convicted of the kidnapping and the murder, given a life sentence. 
and her family sued. Guess who they sued? They didn't sue Cook. They sued Ford Motor Company and Bridgestone Firestone, saying that they needed to pay for her murder because if she hadn't had the flat tire, then she wouldn't have been kidnapped and murdered. How many of you have ever had a flat tire? Was it the car company's fault or the nail that you ran over? Or the big piece of metal that was in the road that you hit? You see, that's just one instance of people trying to shift blame. You know others. You go through the drive-thru at McDonald's, you order coffee. You put it in your lap and you turn it over. And it burns you. And so you sue McDonald's because the coffee was hot. Now I realize a lot of people order cold coffee now. I can't help it that you don't like good coffee. (laughs) But it's not McDonald's fault that you spilled your coffee. And yet people have sued and won the case. And it has gotten progressively worse since that time. I, I talked about what happened in the year 2000, and McDonald's was along about that time as well, that case. We're trying to shift blame. Somebody says, but you don't know my family. You don't know how I was raised. That's one of the problems that we have sometimes with modern counselors and counseling. We're always trying to find someone else to point the finger at. The relationship that you had with your mother and daddy or, or, or because you didn't have this relationship, you, you're not really to blame. It's their fault back behind you. I want you to understand something. It's found in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. The Bible says, So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You see, our family didn't make us do this. Ford Motor Company was not at fault because she had a flat tire. McDonald's didn't scald the person when the, when the coffee was spilt. It's not the policeman's fault when you do something wrong, nor the boss's fault, nor the teacher's fault. We choose to do the things that we do. We choose to think the thoughts that we think. We choose. And you see, God's going to hold us accountable for what we do. It's not my fault. Somebody says, well, the devil made me do it. That's more than just a slogan on a television show from long ago. Do you realize that the Bible never teaches that the devil can force you to sin? Never. 
In John 8, chapter 44, the Bible does speak about the devil. Jesus talks about these Jewish people being like their father, the devil. But notice the last part of that verse. He says, he is a liar and the father of lies. Indeed, he is. And, and, and you know, that, that really plays into what is said back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 13. When God asked Eve why she did what she did, she said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. You see, the serpent, he didn't tie Eve down and force feed her that fruit. He didn't do that. She chose to believe his lie. She was deceived, but she chose to believe the deception that he put in front of her. I want you to think about this. If Satan could force you to do what it is that he wanted you to do that's against God if he could force you to do that, there would be absolutely no need for temptations. If he could force you to do it, you'd already have done it. And he wouldn't have to lead you away. Like Eve, you either choose to believe his lie or you choose to refuse him. He can't make you do it. Next, Sometimes folks say, well, it's God's fault. God is the one who caused this. Genesis chapter 3 at verse 12, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I did eat it. That's after God had come walking in the garden. Adam and Eve were hiding. And he said, what have you done? Why did you do it? And Adam said, God, it's your fault. You gave me the woman, and she gave me the fruit. So it's your fault. A lot of times we try that with God. Somebody says, I was born that way. You see, that's still saying that God is at fault. Have you ever really thought about the implications of that statement? Just logically thought about the implications of that statement. I had no control over what I was when I was born. Really and truly, the only one who had control over what I was when I was born was God. So God, it must be your fault. It, it must be your fault because I was born homosexual. I was born a sexual pervert. I was born a drunkard. I was born a thief. James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, let no one say. And that includes everybody. Let no one say, when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Listen to me carefully. To say that God made me do it, whatever it is, or to say that God made me this way so that I do things that He has specifically forbidden me to do, things that He specifically condemns in His Word, for me to say that God made me this way or that He made me do it is to say that 
He is tempting me to do it. And according to this passage, that is an impossibility for him to do. There are some things even God can't do, and tempting folks is one of them. But we can fall prey to the temptations that Satan can bring before us. We try to shift blames in these ways. Very quickly this morning, before we run out of time, here's my second main point. Second main question that I have, why? Why do we try to shift blame away from ourselves? Why do we do it? Let's look at three things very quickly. Number one, I think we, we really tend to only look at ourselves through our own eyes. That's the reason we want to shift blame. We, we really like what we see when we look at ourselves. And so, I want you to think about a couple of passages. Proverbs chapter 21, verse number 2. The Bible says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. I look at myself and I say, Hmm, you know, I think this is what really needs to be done. My thinking may not be right, but I think it is. Look at Proverbs 30, verse 12. There the Bible says, the wise man, they are those who are clean in their own eyes and are not washed of their filth. It's like a child when he goes and gets in the bathtub. He goes and he sits for a little while. You ask him, well, did you wash? Yeah, I took a good bath. And you look and the mud's still caked up, you know, around the neck. Y'all ever, y'all ever seen the little boys when they come in from playing and they got the little beads that run around? Not the ones that, that they put on, but the ones that they got from the dirt, you know, they got sort of rolled up there. Did you take a bath? Yeah. Did you wash good? Yeah. And the little old beads are still, you know, still intact. That's the way a lot of folks are. We're clean in our own eyes, but we're still filthy. There's nothing clean really about us. But we only look at ourselves through our own eyes. Not what God says, not His law, not, not anything that's right or wrong. It's what do I think. And I think I'm good. I see myself, I'm clean, and so it must not be me. Number two, we tend to trust our own heart. Now, Job, in Job 27, verse 6, he said, I hold fast my righteousness, and I will not let uh, it go. My heart does not reproach me for any of my days. Job could say that, and he was right. Because we know the whole story behind it. Job was a righteous man. Satan said the man's so righteous, but God, if you'd take something away from him, his health, the things that he has, if you hadn't built that hedge around him, he would denounce you, God. Job didn't do that. He maintained his integrity throughout. He could look at his heart and said, I've had the right kind of heart. But guess what? Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick, who can understand it? We're not all Job's. Sometimes we have a problem with our heart. And we can't admit it. That brings me to the third one. We tend to think we cannot be the problem. I'm looking at my heart, but, it, but I say, I can't be the problem. It's not me. I can't be the problem. Why is that? Look at 
chapter 10, verse 29 of the book of Luke. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? Look at that phrase, desiring to justify himself. I can't be the problem. There's nothing wrong with me. Look at Luke 16, verse 15. He said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before me and talking to the Pharisees. But God knows your hearts, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. We try to justify ourselves because we don't think we can be the problem. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, But if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If I say that I have no sin, I will never confess the sin that I have. If I'm trying to justify myself, say I'm not the problem, I'll never make changes in my life. And so folks, we must stop trying to justify ourselves. That's why we're shifting the blame. That's why we're, we're passing the buck to other folks. Very quickly, let me run through a few verses and the lesson's yours. I want you to look and think closely about this idea of being justified. Romans 8 verse 33 says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It's not my job to justify myself. That's the point. Not my job to try to justify myself. I may be wrong. I might might see myself wrong. My heart may be wrong. It's not my job. It's God who justifies. But if I try to justify myself, even though I've been the biggest sinner in the world, the only way I can justify myself is blame somebody else. Pass the buck. But it's God who justifies. Titus chapter 3 verse 7 says, So that being justified by His grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You know, in spite of the bad things that we have done, God is still willing to justify us in spite of them. We don't have to pass the buck on to somebody else. God's the one who justifies, but He justifies us through His grace. But to say that He justifies us through His grace does not mean that we don't have a part. For Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has the faith? Well, I have to have faith. I have to have faith in God. Before He will ever exercise His justification of us. Look at Ephesians 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. God justifies us. We don't have to pass the buck. He sent His Son to take the sin, to take the blame away from us. It was through His grace that He did that. Would you believe that even today? 
so that you can have the salvation that God offers. In his farewell address, one of our presidents, President Truman, mentioned this sign that he had on his desk. Many of you may have seen it before. You may have, may have heard about that sign that says, The buck stops here. The president in his farewell address said, Whoever he is, the president, whoever he is, has to decide. He cannot pass the buck to anybody. No one else can do the deciding for him. That's his job. He was talking about the office of the president. But folks, I want you to understand this morning, we cannot pass the buck to anyone. The only one who can sufficiently take the sin, take the blame for us is Christ. We can't do it, no matter how hard we try. But may I ask you this morning as we close our lesson, what is it today that you're trying to pass the buck on to somebody else for? What is it? Is there something in your life that you're trying to pass the buck? Stop it. Don't do it. Don't live that way. Don't be one of the victimism society. Because God won't allow it. We can say it's not my fault, but really it is. The only way we can have justification from it is not to point our finger, not to say it's somebody else who did it, not to blame it on the devil or God, but to take the responsibility and allow God to take the sin. Would you make the decision today to stop trying to justify yourself, stop blaming others for the failures that you may have in your life? Would you make the decision to, to step out in obedient faith and therefore have a part in the saving grace of God? Your obedient faith requires you to move to action, to repent of the sins, to make the great confession, to be baptized for the remission of your sins, washed in the blood of Jesus, to have your sins washed away so that you can be pure and just, justified in His sight. If you're here today and you need to do that, we'd love to assist you. Maybe you're here and you've been trying to pass the buck on something that's wrong in your life. Pass it to the right one. Let it be God who takes it. If you're here today and you need the prayers of the church, you've become a Christian in the past, but you need the prayers to ask God to help you in this way, we would love to assist you right now as together we stand.